This morning, I want to read out of Matthew 5. I read out of Nehemiah as an introduction to the idea of, of a man of God who, who actually sees destruction of his old Jerusalem. Now, remember, for the Old Testament people, Jerusalem was the city of the Lord. So everything that was in the city had a, a, a connection to God in one way or the other, particularly the temple, the walls. They were symbols of God's protection to that particular nation. They had been taken in exile to Babylon, and now Cyrus had signed a new edict, and they are returning in, in waves back to Jerusalem. But Nehemiah, who is the cupbearer, is actually up in Assyria. And he's actually heard. He hadn't seen it. He hadn't walked through the destroyed city. He hadn't seen the, 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 the walls destroyed by fire. Nobody back then had a telephone with a good camera, uh, GPS, and that kind of connection. I couldn't take a picture down and send it over to Assyria so that he would see how destroyed were the walls, how the temple wasn't even around, how things were just bad. And not only were the physical stuff bad, but the condition of the people was even worse. He never saw a picture of it. He heard about it. And just by hearing about it, he prayed the way he did. If you know the story of Nehemiah, he eventually was given permission, resources, and letters of passage to go and not only rebuild the walls, but the morale and build the spirit of the people, they were there in spiritual death. Jesus, in Matthew 15, is having a constant argument with the Pharisees and the leaders of the law, because the leaders of the law were saying that a good Christian goes to school on Sun, goes to church on Sunday, wears kind of clothes, doesn't say bad words, behaves in a certain way, and that makes him a good Christian. I'm sorry, but I was talking about the first century Jews, right? Oh, that's a technique. <laughs> it's, called, it's called localization. Yeah, localization. I just made it up. Putting yourself in that locale where you're speaking of. So Jesus is telling them, before we get to this text, Jesus is telling them that what saves them is not what they wear, it's not what they eat, it's not what they do, it's their heart. That's what he's saying there. And he finishes saying that, and he probably had an issue, he's tired of saying those things to these hard-hearted individuals who are tied up to a tradition, who are tied to a way of being that is not really the way. It's a made-up thing. It's a domesticated faith. You've heard me use the word. So Jesus got tired of speaking to these people, and this is where we catch him. Where is it? Oh. This is where we catch Jesus. After all that conversation and trying to tell him it's not what you wear, what you eat, and what you do. It's what's in your heart that corrupts you. Then Jesus said, Then Jesus left Galilee 
and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He had to get out of Jerusalem. He had to get out of Israel. <laughs> he left. By the way, allow me to read this, and I'll be making ed- ed- uh, editorials as I read it. Okay? I'm not going to read the whole thing, and then I- I'm just going to go through it. Okay? So he was so sick of it. He needed a vacation. He needed to, to, to get off. He needed for the world to stop, the globe to stop, and him to get off a few seconds. So he got off, and he went to Tyre and Sidon, a Gentile woman. Now, the word Gentile, by the way, is ethnos. So anybody that was not a Jew was ethnic. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has to do with religion. Okay? An ethnic woman who lived there came to him pleading. She did not send him a text. She did not uh, send him an email. She did not make an appointment. Oh, my God. Pleading. And, and you know, I'm going to read it one way. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. You think that's how she pleaded this? <laughs> it's her daughter. And the issue is not nice. It's not something that is severe. So I can imagine her saying something like, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. I mean, that that gets you a little bit. But Jesus gave no reply, not even a word. Ooh. Then his disciples added up, upped it up, and urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with her begging. So I guess she kept at it. She kept at it. Then Jesus, because she kept at it. Do you think so? Because she kept at it. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Oh, my God. Is he the one that's talking about inclusiveness? But not here. But she came back and did something. Did she plead? Did she try to argue with him? Did she try to convince him otherwise? Notice verse 25 in your text. It says, what does it say? She came and worshipped him. What? What does that look like? She's pleading. She's already humble and humiliated enough in a situation where she's trying to have her case heard and people are against her already? Isn't that humiliating? What kind of support? So she's in that condition all by herself, but thinking that she's dealing with the Lord, son of David. So she decides to worship him. to acknowledge his position 
but to acknowledge His position, we in her have to acknowledge our position. Worshiped Him and pleaded again, Help me, Lord! Oh, when was the last time you said that? Probably about uh, half an hour ago, right before he said, oh, help me, Lord, I got to do this. Yeah. Help me, Lord, Jesus responded. It's not right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. What? He not only rejected her, but now he calls her a dog? Goodness sake, what's up with Jesus? In counseling, we have an idea called role-playing. In counseling, we have a, 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 a role-playing thing. Sometimes, uh, I, I remember when I was doing a lot of counseling, it was my main staple of the week. Um, I enjoyed mimicking my client so they could see themselves. Sometimes I would film them, and they knew, obviously. This was not sneaky. And I wanted to play the view again so they could see themselves. And I wonder if Jesus is using some of those techniques here as he's beginning to proclaim, yes, he's proclaiming the gospel to the Jews, but now he's stepping out of the box. He's stepping out of his safe world. He's stepping out of his own little world to convey a reality, to convey a truth that may or may not include you and I. Let's see. So he responded, it's not right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, she had a good one. Sometimes we don't even know what to say. But she replied, that's not true, Lord, you're a liar. No. No, 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 no. She said, uh, you're, that's true, Lord, you're cool. I got one, I must leave. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fallen beneath their master's table. Wow. I think she found herself in. I think she found the breach in the wall. I think she found a little snippet that she could say, Lord, yes. But notice again her position. From pleading to worship to even being more humble, One of the things that breaks God's heart is precisely a stone heart that's not willing to change. And listen to what the Word says. That's true, Lord. And then the Lord said, Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And by the way, in all of this conversation, how many of us forgot about the daughter? That's what it was all about. That's what it was all about. Jesus, in many occasions, 
expressed as his expressed the idea, and, and the gospel writers used the concept or the idea that he was moved to compassion. That he was deeply moved to compassion. The words, uh, actually in the Old Testament, we find a lot of that where God is moved to compassion, where God hears the cry of God's people and God decides He's been moved to tears. We hear it in the first few verses of Exodus when God hears the cry of His people and God puts to motion a plan of liberation and rescue for His people in Egypt. Jesus is also implicitly and explicitly talks about being moved to tears, being moved within his heart. The, the, the ancient words talk about, describe the situation not as compassion, which is very heart kind of felt, but join your visceral stomach reaction to it. Uh, and you get a... Uh, and the more you think about it, the, oh, my God. That's what the ancient concept of compassion is. And in, in, in many occasions, but let, let's, let's listen to three of them. When Jesus saw the crowd in Matthew 9, I'm going to stay with Matthew today. When Jesus saw the crowds in Matthew chapter 9, he had compassion on them. Notice this. Compassion is not so much of what he sees now. Our hearts are not broken for what necessarily we see now, but for what we see may happen that is worse than now. Do you get it? We see the teenagers this day making wrong decisions, and we are moved into some degree of compassion because we know that those decisions are not going to help them for what? For their future. So it's not so much a situation right now that Jesus is looking at, but What's really going to happen? And he was moved to compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In, in Matthew 14, when Jesus landed in one of the boat rides across the, the lake, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and got in the boat and left. I'm sorry, this... I type something and it comes something else. The text actually says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He stepped out of the boat. He stepped out of his own little world because he was able to perceive the pain, the condition of others. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. In Matthew 25, he's approaching that dreadful week. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. I wonder if I could read this. Oh, church, oh, church. The kingdom that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often, how often would I gather you, 
your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And listen to this statement. And you would not. Jesus is broken with a hard, insensitive heart. God's heart breaks when God sees God's people with insensitivity. When God sees God's people using falsehood to manipulate. When God sees God's people destroying one another. When God sees God's people rejecting one another. When God sees God's people filled with unbelief instead of belief and hope. When God sees God's people hating, making divisions, dividing one another. When God sees God's people with complacency as if they were in a regular club. When God sees God's people with lack of compassion. When God sees God's people oppressing others and thus themselves. That breaks God's heart. And maybe the whole idea is that we don't want to have our hearts broken. I have my own pains and issues, right? Why, why do I want? So, in a way, we are running away from God breaking our hearts with what breaks God's own heart because we can't handle it. And guess what? It's true. We can't handle it. But if God is sending us, wait a minute, but... If God, that's the key, but if God is sending us, then let's be like the woman, the Syrophoenician woman. That's, they, that's what they were called <laughs> way up in that foreign land north of Israel. That she, yes, if it's you, she knew who she was dealing with, and, 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 and she had her faith. Jesus recognized it. And Jesus may have shifted his heart or may have pretend to have shifted his heart to teach us how we are to respond to the needs of people who don't even belong to this household. He's showing us with compassion, with love, with hope, with understanding. Uh, talking with my mother this weekend, we had a lot of silly conversations. But once months of them, uh, uh, I try to talk about here, not about other stuff. <laughs> This is a good thing in my life. So, um, so uh, we're talking, and we're talking about evangelism. How to grow the church? You know, that's what I'm dealing with this year. How to fill every one of those seats? Look at them. Look at them. Are they empty? Oh, come on! That's not the faith. <laughs> there you go. Temporarily empty. Could you imagine people sitting on those? I see a wheelchair there. More walkers over there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Baby strollers. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, so we're talking about it. And, and, and say, Bob, I, I think the Lord actually is moving a lot of hope through what's called uh, a connection evangelism. Instead of the old marketing, business-like evangelism, you know what I'm talking about? The business model evangelism. Uh, this is my product. It's better than anything else you've had in your life. This is my product. It's called Jesus, eternal life. You take it now or not. That's a closing. It's a very business model. It never existed until the 1890s. You know that? Uh-huh. 
How were people saved before? Hanging around with other people who were not perfect, but who had faith and were able to infuse that faith. So it's called relationship evangelism. Hello? I invented it just now. Exactly. So it takes longer, though. There you go. What did you say, Purse? It lasts for because it's not made or pressured. It's because they want it and they step. Why do you have this attitude in the middle of your dark days? Oh, I got my dark days, and there's light. There is joy. There is peace and a lot of hope. And that's good. Because what breaks God's heart is to see us with a hard heart, insensitive, unresponsive to God's people in need. I ask three elders to pray for us as we come together for a moment of prayer. And they're coming over to lead us in prayer. And I will, uh, when we pray in group, we sometimes use the metaphor. I'm going to, they're going to dial up. I'm going to hang up. So, come on over, yeah. So that the, in between, there's going to be pauses. Just listen to their prayers as they take us in intercession before the Lord. It's on already. Let us pray. Today, O oh loving Father, we will step out in faith and not fear. We will boldly profess the victory in our lives. We will not let shyness get the better of us. Break even chain, O oh Lord, that hinder our confidence and destroy our trust in the everlasting, powerful God. Today, we proclaim with boldness that we are healed and set free by you, our faithful King. We know we can depend on you, for you always stand by your word. Help us to build our confidence as we draw near to you and get over ourselves. Teach us to spread your message boldly across the land and to confess the love and hope that is only found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Allow the fear to just drift away and let the doubt flee. Restore our bravery to stand in front of crowds and minister to your people, if it be your will. Restore hope and love and peace in our community today. Help us to step out and follow you. Help us to see what matters to you. And help us to respond like Jesus our Lord. We continue, O oh God, before your presence, echoing the words of our brothers and sisters, that we should be free to be who you want us to be as a community and as individuals. We thank you today for being with us, not only this hour, but always with us. We ask you, O oh God, to make us aware of your ever-presence in our life, to make us aware of your love, to make us aware of your sustenance, to make us aware of your protection, 
to make us aware of your presence with us, O oh God. We thank you that we can depend on that as we are reminded through faith. We ask, O oh Lord, for the sisters and brothers who are not here today due to illness, travel, or other circumstances. doesn't matter, O oh Lord. We ask you to bless them, touch them, remind them that we love them, and remind them that this is home. Thank you, God, for the life of people, saints, who have lived life close to you, and though not perfect, have given us a glimpse of who you are. Thank you for them. We thank you, God, that we are able to live in a society that we can produce, that we can create, we can innovate and share. But we thank you for Jesus above all things because He is our Lord and He is our Savior. And the reason why we gather is because of Him and not us. Thank you for so many things that He did. And we can learn at so many levels if we would just sit a while with Him. And thank you because he taught us to say this beautiful prayer that reminds us how close we can be with you, your promises towards us, as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.